We are on the water. We're going fishing. So as you get settled in, I want you to take a moment here to imagine a familiar body of water. This can be any body of water that comes to mind for you. And I think that we have a picture. Um, Abby, if you want to put the water picture up for us. So this is the beach that comes to mind for me. This is the bay that my grandparents live on in Rhode Island. And when I think of this, I imagine the rocky shoreline, the feel of the salt water in the air, how peaceful it is watching the waves meet the sand again and again. Maybe you're picturing the lake. That would look and definitely smell a little different. And again, we're not looking for historical accuracy here, unless you maybe have some firsthand memories of the Sea of Tiberias, which is our setting, <laughs> but I don't think you do. So we're just playing up the imagination to help ground us in the story. So I'll invite you now to get settled into your seat, to imagine being by the water. You can close your eyes as we read if that's helpful, or find a spot in the room to focus your gaze. Imagine yourself experiencing the story unfold in an embodied way. So I'll put the verse up here as well if you want to read along with this passage. So this is John 21, 1 through 25. After these things, Jesus showed himself again to the disciples by the Sea of Tiberias, and he showed himself in this way. Gathered there together were Simon Peter, Thomas, called the twin, Nathaniel of Cana in Galilee, the sons of Zebedee, and two others of his disciples. Simon Peter said to them, I am going fishing. They said to him, we will go with you. They went out and got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing. Just after daybreak, Jesus stood on the beach, but the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to them, children, you have no fish, have you? They answered him, no. He said to them, cast the net to the right side of the boat, and you will find some. So they cast it, and now they were not able to haul it in because there were so many fish. Take a moment to imagine what that feels like, the rock of the ship the visualizing of the fish, the sun just after daybreak. That disciple whom Jesus loved said to Peter, it is the Lord. When Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had taken it off and he jumped into the sea. But the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish for they were not far from the land, only about a hundred yards off. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore, full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. Now none of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? Because they knew it was the Lord. Jesus came and took the bread and gave it to them, and did the same with the fish. This was now the third time that Jesus appeared to the disciples after he was raised from the dead. So you can bring yourself back from being out on the water. You are now either at home or in the Davis Theater. <laughs> there are three elements from the story that I want to highlight as we think more about what it means to be an everyday partnership with the risen Jesus. 
And the first is that partnering with Jesus means allowing ourselves to be fully human. Now, I grew up with this portrayal of disciples and some Sunday school renditions of the stories where the general mentality around the disciples was those silly guys. <laughs> they were constantly getting it wrong, doubting, missing the point, super flaky. Surely if I was in the story, I would have far wiser, far more trusting reactions to the bizarre experience of following around God incarnate, thought my eight-year-old self. And this story was just another example that was cited, that somehow going back to fishing, which is what some of them had done prior to following Jesus, was regressing and not faithfully moving forward in complete understanding and trust. It was portrayed as a negative thing, that as Jesus is on the shore, they don't immediately recognize him. Now this wasn't Jesus' first appearance to them, according to the author of John, and yet, I can't imagine that the confusion and the grief would have worn off. To witness your teacher and friend be crucified is horrific. And even after seeing the risen Jesus, I can't imagine that there would have been complete clarity about what was taking place. They didn't have the full picture, the complete arc of the story. And as I've revisited the Gospels over time, I've shifted away from seeing the disciples as those silly guys. <laughs> and toward recognizing how often the disciples are just coping and just being human. There isn't this superhuman need for them to predict the future as the story unfolds, to fully know what's going on, to respond appropriately at all times. Now maybe you didn't inherit this approach to the disciples, but I think that we do this to ourselves as well. We regret how we responded to something. We feel like we should have known better, done better. We should all be mind readers and future tellers and in complete control at all times. And wow, those are unfair expectations. Watching their reactions in this passage and how Jesus comes alongside them is a really helpful reminder of how Jesus walks with us in our humanity. He doesn't expect us to transcend our humanity. There's a great podcast episode that I listened to this week that I can drop in Discord later. Um, the Bible for Normal People has this kind of relatively new offshoot called Faith for Normal People. So if you've been like, wow, Vince and Haley quote this podcast all the time, but I'm not super into biblical study, totally fine. This is something that's slightly different, and you might enjoy that. Um, but in this episode, they interviewed KJ Ramsey, who's a trauma-informed counselor and author, and it's this great conversation around listening to our bodies, healing and coping through trauma, and what Jesus being human means for us being human, for our human experiences. And it's helped me to think more about how the cross, the crucifixion, and the resurrection is traumatic. In this story in John, we have a community responding in the wake of trauma by seeking out what is comfortable, what is familiar? And I want to recognize the traumas that we all carry in our own bodies, in our own stories. Sometimes religious commentary doesn't set us up well to actually validate how we've needed to cope, how we've needed to survive. In this episode, KJ Ramsey says that it can be hard to tell the truth about how much we've been affected by what we've lived. Admitting that we've been impacted by trauma and change can be hard when we want to appear unmovable and strong. 
spiritually bypassing grief, putting trust up on a pedestal, and leaving no option for doubt. Even beyond the religious world, there are so many voices telling us not to trust our own feelings and emotions, or that we can overcome our own needs or weaknesses through discipline and hustle. Encountering all of the loud voices saying otherwise, Ramsey suggests slowing down to listen to our feelings, to listen to our needs, and to let them guide us, rather than seeing our humanity as something that needs to be overcome. We'll put this quote up here, but she says, to dare to witness our own overwhelm, our own grief, our confusion without judgment actually gives our bodies the chance to feel safe enough to hope, to feel safe enough to be soothed back into strength. I'll read it one more time. To dare to witness our own overwhelm, our own grief, our confusion without judgment actually gives our body the chance to feel safe enough to hope to feel safe enough to be soothed back into strength. I love how gentle this is, and I love that she includes confusion in this list, because I think we talk a lot about direct struggle or hardship, but confusion, not knowing, especially for long periods of time, can be really disorienting. When was the last time that you slowed down and really listened to what your body was telling you? If you are someone who deals with pain or chronic illness, if you've caught whatever is going around for what seems like an endless eternity lately, if you're growing a human, you may have been forced to listen more than usual. It's pretty hard to ignore your body when there's a baby kicking your bladder. But for many of us, even as we experience something traumatic, even as the horrific news is plastered on our screens, as we encounter personal struggles, we feel like we can't slow down. We don't have an option. It can be easier to become numb, to keep pushing through. And I love that this quote shows us that hope and strength are something that we soothe ourselves back into, not an armored stance that we are expected to automatically assume in the wake of overwhelm, grief, and confusion. Honoring your own humanity can look like piecing together self-care and recognizing what you need. How's your sleep? Have you eaten today? Had enough water? Talked to a friend? Is there something comfortable and familiar that could bring you stability? And one of the most powerful responses in this passage is a line that I've overlooked in reading the story before. Simon Peter says, I am going fishing. And the rest say, we will go with you. I can think of countless times when people in my life have said, we will go with you so that I did not have to face my own overwhelmed grief and confusion alone. The disciples are caring for their needs, maybe looking for a distraction, finding a way to move forward, and they're doing so communally. I wonder if you can think of a time where someone else has said, we will go with you. When you have felt accompanied by community or accompanied by Jesus in the midst of your overwhelm, grief, and confusion, if you're joining in our chat on Discord, I would love to hear if there are some memories that you have around others saying, we will go with you so that you don't have to go back out onto the boat alone. There's another line from the podcast episode that has really stayed with me that we'll put up that speaks to this. KJ Ramsey says, pain becomes a portal when people are present with us in it. And that is not a silver lining, that is a fierce honesty. 
It's a willingness to sit in the dark and not run away from it that actually transforms it. We will go with you. You do not have to go out there alone. The second reminder from the passage that we can pull is that partnering with Jesus means expanding our definition of the miraculous. Now this has recently become one of my favorite stories of Jesus. I love the water. I love a good waterfront brunch, so this is lovely. The part of this story that gets a lot of hype is when Jesus instructs them to cast their nets to the other side of the boat. The sudden miracle of catching all of the fish. Simon Peter leaping into the water after knowing it was Jesus. And I get it, it's showy and impressive, but the more recent times that I've read this story, I've shifted my understanding of what actually makes the story miraculous. The fish thing is pretty cinematic, but when you keep reading, you get to the good part. I'll refresh your memory. It says, when they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish on it and bread. Jesus said to them, bring some of the fish that you have just caught. So Simon Peter went aboard and hauled the net ashore full of large fish, 153 of them. And though there were so many, the net was not torn. And Jesus said to them, come and have breakfast. For me, the most beautiful and miraculous part of this passage is that first line. When they had gone ashore, they saw a charcoal fire there with fish and bread. Not quite as showy, but I like to imagine Jesus patiently and tenderly building a fire on the beach while the disciples made their way to shore. It's powerful and humble that the divine embodied would get his hands dirty to feed his friends breakfast on the beach. And I'm not one to place limits on the power of God and the scale of miracles that can take place. There are certainly moments of overwhelming provision and healing, hauling in 153 fish. But I would venture to say that a maybe a more sustaining version of hope could be found in looking for the moments where you feel cared for, at peace, well-fed even, and labeling those as miracles too. The miracle of having a God that is close, a God that cares, a God that meets us in the midst of confusion, uncertainty, and grief, not just victory and clarity. Because what a miracle, truly, that we can experience a God that is actively involved in the world, a God that cares about our well-being and belonging, a God that is responsive and patient and compassionate. So often, I think Easter gets reduced to victory over death. But what if that's not the whole story? Another both and. The trajectory of life, death, and resurrection that Jesus shows us is a story of victory over death and solidarity and partnership in life. When Jesus is resurrected, he does the most human of things. He walks and he eats and he gathers with others. And so partnering with the risen Jesus may look more like naming God's presence in very human ways that we experience hope and love, not just looking to otherworldly provision. This can be a really anchoring and sustaining practice that I want to invite you all into. Can we get in the habit of naming more things as the miraculous presence of God? Maybe this image is a helpful one for you to think of in the days ahead. To picture Jesus patiently building a fire, inviting you to eat breakfast by the water. Maybe there's another version of the divine that feels more comforting for you. Whatever offers you a sustaining hope whatever meets you in your humanity. 
So in partnering with Jesus, we can honor our full humanity and we can, under, we can expand our understanding of the miraculous. The last reminder from the story that we'll consider today is that partnering with Jesus is not a passive observation, but an active practice. And this really gets at why I think partnership is such a helpful framework here. Because without it on one end, you have messaging that will try to convince you that you are in this alone. Pick yourself up by your bootstraps, hustle and get ahead at whatever cost. And on the other end, you have messaging like thoughts and prayers. It's all in God's hands anyways. And neither of those feel particularly hopeful for me. I wonder if that's the same for you. Either you are untethered to a source of hope and love, or you are just stuck passively waiting for God to intervene. But when we look at the story we read today, we see that the disciples are actively involved in making the miracle happen. They are the ones casting the net. They bring the fish to shore. They share in the communion on the beach. Change, provision, and justice are brought about in active partnership with God. And I just find this to be such an encouragement that we are not in this alone and we can be empowered to act in ways that actually matter now. We are not hopeless, passive observers, but active agents of change because the story is still unfolding and God is experiencing it with us. In this full scope of the story, in the victory and the dying, in the confusion and overwhelm, in the tender care, building a fire, the healing, you are not alone you can experience belonging, and you can have access to a sustaining and lasting hope. And as we cope with the reality of being human, just like the disciples, as we listen to our bodies, as we say, we will go with you out of empathy and necessity, as we witness hope in the world, and as we partner with divine love, we find greater sources of meaning and belonging within community and within ourselves. Simply put, we have to care. And I don't think that I need to convince anyone here to care about injustice in the world. But maybe, just maybe, some of us could benefit from the reminder that we need to take care of ourselves. Not as an afterthought, not only when we are burnt out or past our breaking point, as a really healthy starting point. In this podcast episode, I keep coming back to KJ Ramsey actually talks about this connection that we've mentioned before about caring for yourselves and having capacity to care for others and to care about the world. She names that when we are in a state of stress, our bodies actually can't access the parts of our brain that allow us to have perspective and extend compassion and empathy to others. So not addressing prolonged stress can actually keep you from being able to be fully present in the world in a compassionate and empathetic way. This becomes the necessary starting point, not an afterthought. Believing what your body is telling you. If you are feeling stressed and tired and worn down, this is your sign to slow down and listen to your own needs. Go fishing, if that's your kind of thing or prioritize getting together with friends, read at a coffee shop alone, go for a run, take in the sunshine, go to therapy, return to what feels comforting and hopeful and know that God's presence can be evident there. 
you are inherently deserving of care and compassion. And being rooted in that fact increases your capacity to bring about justice and change. Self-care and community care go hand in hand, and Jesus partners with us in both. So as we close, I'd like to invite you to join me in an embodied practice together since we're taking um, something from this story and implementing it. We want to be listening to our bodies. This is a body scan prayer. Uh, We've done some mindfulness already this morning, and this is another mindfulness practice. So if mindfulness is not your thing, I'm so sorry, but you can take this time to really listen to your breathing. I think a lot of the slowing down and listening starts with your breath. Breathing is going to be what anchors us here. I will guide us through this body scan prayer as we pray. But if you are someone who likes to know what to expect, this will involve um, scanning over your body and listening to how you physically feel and the emotions that that brings up. I will invite you at one point to tense your muscles and then to release that tension. So if you wanna get settled in your seat, plant your feet on the ground, you can close your eyes or find a spot on the wall to focus on. Could bring to mind the waters again if that helps to calm you. I'd like you to take a few deep breaths here to start. And now I'll invite you to scan through your body from the top of your head all the way until you get to your feet on the floor. As you breathe and as you scan, notice where there is any tension, any stress or pain. Notice what you're carrying. You can notice where you feel any comfort or ease. As you notice these things, as you observe them, try your best to refrain from judging your body in this practice. And if you notice that judgmental voice coming up, think about what it may feel like instead to extend yourself grace and compassion and love. Now I'll invite you to tense up all of your muscles, tight as you can. Notice how that tension feels. And then relax. Breathe and let the tension go. Settle into your body. And take a few more deep breaths. Jesus, I'm grateful that you are a God that invites us back into our bodies, a God that is with us on this journey of being human. In our grieving and our hope, our doubting and our trust, in all of our wrestlings and longings, 
May we look to you. May we be open to witnessing your active presence in the world. And not just witnessing it, but joining you, partnering with you in the flow of justice and love. And may we see the ways that you are partnering with us. Would we be graceful as we extend grace and compassion to ourselves and to those around us? Amen.